So, Bob, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast. Yeah, like a month, maybe more. And the listeners love you so much. Oh, wow. They're always requesting you. Mm. They send in uh, questions just for you. So, really? Yeah. So let's let's read those questions. Okay. Let's answer them. Sure. And see what comes out of our faces. <laughs> Good. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, a professor, and I'm an email reader. You are indeed. And Who are you? I am your friend for the last 26 years, something like that, and... Uh, Four years. I always wonder how long it's been. I think I go through this every time I introduce myself. I say the same stuff like, oh, we've been friends for... Well, it's 95, 95, so it's it's summer of 95, so it would be almost 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And a therapist here in practice in Seattle. Yeah. Patron Mary writes in and says, I have a question for you and Bob. I have been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and my boyfriend claims to be a narcissist with anger issues. Hmm. Um, we both came from abusive childhoods. He has some red flags. He can be controlling, but I can be manipulative at times too. Hmm. His ex-girlfriend claimed he was abusive. Uh, he told me one time that he was abusive with her. Hmm. He was angry at a party and in an argument with her, he grabbed her and she got hurt. He feels bad about the incident. I don't want to fall into an abusive relationship like my mom did with my dad. I'm worried me and my boyfriend fit into each other's dysfunctional attachment styles. I'm in therapy, but he isn't. We both like to talk and share our past with each other, so that's good. I've listened to your podcast about intimate partner violence, but I just feel so scared and confused because I love him and I don't want to be, but I don't want to be another statistic. Bob, what do you think? So this idea of borderline and narcissism and the worry about that. What do you think? Well, I don't really, I think we are not our diagnoses. So I kind of want to just focus on what actually happens between us as opposed to what's your diagnosis and what's mine. Yeah. So um, not that those, not that the labels, I don't think the labels are bad. Right. And I don't think that they're, um, they have utility. They have a certain utility, but um, I wouldn't want to boil either of them down to whether or not they do or do not have some personality disorder. Yeah. But I am curious about, you know, like, okay, so you're worried about there being, um, you know, uh, domestic violence. You're worried about him getting angry. Are you guys talking about it? When you talk about it, how does it go? Um, um, I, I don't... I think that the, a lot of couples, you know, like I've, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've advised a couple, well, you know, you could always have a timeout plan. And I think that's, on the one hand, a really good idea. But most of us, when we're angry, we won't follow them. So, um, But with practice, you can. Because yeah. I, I find, and just to interrupt you, sorry, sure. briefly, is that the, well, what do you think the worry is about, or why do you think people don't do timeouts when they, when a part of them thinks they should? I think um, we get engaged, we're angry, we feel misunderstood, we want our partner to get it, and so we try harder. 
Yeah. And there's a premise of if I don't convince them now, right. something terrible is going to happen. Yeah, right, right. A kind of a desperation. Yeah. There's a myth. I, I can't let them go on with right. that thought in their head. Right. Uh, because I'm going to lose them. Yeah. Because I need them to understand that they're the one who's wrong and I'm not I'm not wrong. <laughs> and if because if I'm wrong, then they'll leave me. Right. They don't consciously say this themselves, but this is no. absolutely the premise that underlies the desperation. Yeah. And so to target that in the moment, cognitively, narratively, schema-wise as well, to just be like, I know it feels desperate because it feels like uh, if I don't convince them of this, something bad is going to happen. And if I think about it, I guess I'm worried they're going to leave me, but I don't really think that's going to happen. There's not any evidence they're going to leave me. Mm -hmm. So this can wait until tomorrow or this can wait until I, you know, things change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the biggest... Uh, things you can do to improve your life in your in your relationships is give it a day mm-hmm. or even just give it four hours mm-hmm. um you know everyone out there think about all the times you know you have felt so angry at your spouse whether it's a current spouse or a past spouse you're just like i am done with this person or what the hell was that bullshit? Sure. Or they are just ridiculous. That human being is just so ridiculous. And like, what is wrong with that person? You fast forward a day and you're like, well, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. The dust settles and somehow we come back to earth. And- yeah. The next day you're just like, yeah, well, you know, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. Or... Well, you know, she's better than my previous girlfriend right, or, right. or, well, you know, well, it's probably all my fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, <laughs> like, my feelings. Yeah. Yeah. You know, give it a day, you know, like it does so much. Um, and so, so having that time out is, is such a, is such a great thing. But anyway, I was interrupting you. No, no, not at all. I like what you're saying. Cause I think you're right about the thing that we tell ourselves. We don't necessarily say it in words, but I have to get through to you now. Right. Right. As if. So. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And that compels, because uh, often in these relationships, there's one person that might be willing to pull away to sort of say, mm-hmm. let's let's give it some time mm-hmm. or something. And usually it's one person who's pursuing, not all the time. Um, and so it's the person who's pursuing who can do some work on that to mm-hmm. be secure. I mean, it's, it's a hard thing, obviously catch 22 yeah. for a lot of people, because in order to be secure, they have to be reassured. And in that right. moment, they can't, there's, can't. there's not access to yeah. that. We all need to learn how to self soothe too. Yeah. But it's so hard. You it know, if, hard. If, if you've been relationally traumatized, oh, it's very hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things that I do recommend for people as I'm working on this is I say, try to go blank. I mean, not dissociate per se in a pathological sense, but because there's no there's no way to outthink the situation, and so sometimes if there's no way to out outthink the situation, sometimes just like don't think at all, mm-hmm. like just do anything other than think about it. Mm-hmm. Go for a run, go to a movie, watch a TV show, uh, go to sleep. Honestly, just yeah. you know, because your brain is in such a state that you yeah. can't you can't think straight. But anyway, yeah, right. But I really like what you're saying, Bob. You know, you're saying we're not our diagnoses. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, uh, we're not. We can't be reduced to that. Also, even if we were our diagnoses, it's not a death sentence. You know, 
I have never met, and you know, I I said this out loud on the podcast a few months ago, and I was surprised at the words coming out of my mouth. You know, sometimes I say things that are true to me, yeah, and I'm discovering it at the same time as the listeners are. Oh, and and nice. this is one of those statements. I said, I've never met anyone who wasn't on a personality disorder spectrum. Oh, yeah. Right. If not multiple. Well, yeah, right. When I said that, I was like, wait, did I just say that? Does that make sense? That yeah. does make sense. Right. What? Everyone is on the on at least one personality disorder spectrum. Every, you know, everyone is either narcissistic, paranoid, avoidant, uh, histrionic, psychopathic, narcissistic, uh, schizoid, schizotypal. You know what? What? What are the other ones I'm leaving off of here? I forgot borderline, but uh, obsessive compulsive, yeah. borderline, pa- paranoid. Um, they had the paranoid, but they got rid of it, right? Did they? Well, paranoid I still use P. it. Yeah. Uh, and everyone's on one of those spec- spectra because the chance of you uh, going through your zero to five years of age without any complications is zero. You're you're gonna have some complicated. The thing I always I always say this, and I you know I, I guess bears repeating is that all of us as infants were disappointed. That's why we were crying. Yeah. We weren't crying half the time, you know, when a three-year-old's crying, it's because they're trying to manipulate or they're trying to communicate something. It's It's got a function. Yeah. They're not actually falling apart. But the other half of the time, they are falling apart. It, but to a six-month-old when they're crying, they're falling apart. To a 12-month-old, often they're falling apart. There's no way around it. You know, as a child, you're just, you don't have the ability to soothe yourself. You don't have the ability to get your own food and tell other people that you're too hot or that you actually want the cell phone. And, you know, how come I can't have the cell phone or the keys or the, why can't I have the remote? Like, that doesn't make any sense. You get to have the remote. Why can't I have the remote? And so you're devastated on a minute-by-minute basis and also ecstatic on a minute-by-minute basis. And through those difficulties, which are no joke, you develop defense mechanisms, and uh, that becomes your personality disorder as you grow up, you know, whether it's my style is to uh, laugh it off and deny uh, which has pros and cons, or my style is to depend on myself and mm-hmm. try to have good self-esteem and mm-hmm. realize that not everyone is there for me. That has its pros and cons. Sure. I'm going to have a, a style where I try to reach out for reassurance from other people that I'm a good person and that I'm loved. Uh, that has pros and cons. You know, all these things are going to... So when you say, you know, we're not our diagnoses and, you know, this person, okay, fine. Yeah. You've identified... You self-identify as someone with borderline personality and your uh, partner identifies as someone with narcissism. These, uh, you know, okay. Yeah. Uh, you're normal. Now what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now it doesn't... You know, a lot of times... I get a lot of emails from people. It's like, you know, I have... I've been, border, I've been diagnosed with borderline. Can I be a therapist? Hmm. And it's like, well... All, again, all therapists are on some personality disorder spectrum. So you you just happen to know yours. Good for you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and yours, coincidentally, actually makes you have some pretty good strengths as a therapist. You notice yeah. other people a lot. Right. You understand suffering. Yeah. 
you're not going to pathologize people's personality disorders. Hopefully not. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you're you're less prone to it, I suppose. You're you're going to understand yeah. attachment injury and right. desperation more than the average person, which yeah. everyone suffers from, which is the basis of all the personality disorders, in my opinion, even psychopathy, antisocial. Oh, um, no shit. You really think that? I do. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I mean, there's no way to know. Well, you can't really know. But uh, I just have this, it, call it a religion. I just have this belief that all humans at a base level, in the same way that we all desire water for thirst and food for hunger we also all desire attachment and to please other people. Well, yeah. And for psych- psychopaths and, uh, you know, severe ones, they uh, are characterized as people who don't have empathy and who don't care and right. are manipulating people to their own gain and mm-hmm. pathologically lie. They don't really care about other people's feelings. Yeah. And they even characterize them as people who don't have feelings. Oh, well, yeah, that's um, not true. Right. Uh, but... What I have come, because that's the one personality disorder where it's just like, because borderline's pretty easy to conceptualize in a sympathetic way. Narcissism, a little harder, but easy for me. Um, and all the other ones for sure. But when it comes to psychopathy, there's like, well, you know, psychopaths, they're sort of in this other class. Uh-huh. And some people even characterize them as, as, a, as a completely different, like, race of humans. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's this, and sometimes even, I even kind of talk about it that way. But I believe, based on my investigations, but it's just uh, on actual case studies and actual clients that I've worked with. Um, and But there's no way to prove this. Yeah. But I, according to my belief system, and it holds up in terms of my theory of personality, is that they also grew up wanting attachment. And something happened where they had to learn. Their defense was to exploit other people to get their needs met. Mm-hmm. So they're three years old, and they want attachment, and they also want self-esteem. They want power. They want to feel safe. They want attention. And they, because of the the way their environment was, they determined that the best way or the only way to get those needs met was to uh, scheme against other people and also to basically turn off one's emotion, uh, empathy towards other people because mm-hmm. – it, it was the only way to get their needs met. Mm-hmm. If they had empathy for other people, given their environment when they were two, three, four, five, six, if they had empathy, they wouldn't be able to actually get their needs met because they would care too much about the other person's feelings and thus they wouldn't engage in the defense of actually manipulating them to get their needs met. Because you find a lot of psychopaths will do a lot of things related to attachment and power over other people. They, they want to be in a relationship but so they manipulate other people to to fall in love with them. Uh, they want people to see them as worthy, so they manipulate people so they can move up the corporate ladder. They want people to uh, have sex with normal, so they uh, manipulate other people into having sex with them or something. You know, yeah. so their their need is the same as anyone else's, but their method of getting it is pathological and harmful to other people. The same can be said about borderline or narcissism, right? Uh, A borderline person, someone who suffers from from borderline, wants attachment from other people, but they feel like they need to demand it from other people at times, or they need to uh, be hypervigilant, shall we say, about Mm -hmm. the attachment from the other person, um, rather than 
not being hypervigilant by, <laughs> by being slightly vigilant, you know, uh, and that shoots them in the foot. Um, and to convince the person suffering from borderline that they don't need to be hypervigilant is like at first a no go. It doesn't make any sense to them. They're like, well, what do you mean? Like, but if I don't, if I don't yeah. do that, you, you don't understand. Like right. no one will love me right. and I'll get nothing. Yeah. Like you, you're crazy, you know, like, yeah, I don't right. know what's wrong with you. Right. Um, to the psychopath, you know, you don't need to manipulate other people to love you. They can love you for who you are. Well, that's crazy talk. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, I don't even understand what you're saying to right. me. You know, it doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm trying to make a sale over here. That's yeah. how you do it. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you think, uh, folks with that presentation, maybe their empathy has been punished. Yeah. Could yeah, be as well. Could be, yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of different presentations uh, that I've heard in case studies. Namely, it's like serial killers that I hear about. Well, yeah, that's what you hear about. And so, of course, you get scared. Uh, right. I mean, it feels like alien and other. Because that's right. really, it's pretty threatening shit to think that what's in you is in me. Right. Yeah. The vast majority of psychopaths never kill anybody. Yeah. And never want to. Right. So, uh, that that's a misnomer. Um, and there's also a class of psychopaths that are like the hair psychopath who is like the in and out of prison criminal versatility person. What does the hair part mean? A hair is, I can't remember his first name, but he, Oh, it's a guy, a guy who, uh, wrote the psychopath test. He's the, you know, whenever we talk about psychopathy these days, we tend to talk about his conceptualization of it. Got it. Anyway. Um, so yeah, so anonymous patron. Or Mary, actually. Patron Mary. Did we answer Mary's question? Uh, no, but, I mean, we did kind of. So uh, she's saying, okay, borderline narcissism, Yeah. Uh, it, can it work? And you and I are saying, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's not, it, it, you, you'll read online yeah. that it's a, it's a no-go, but there's absolutely no yeah. no reason. How's it going so far? I guess this is an important question. Are we fighting a lot? Are we having conflict? How do we deal with conflict when we have it? Right, you exactly. Know, that's that's the, you know, your own good sense is probably worth more than what you might read. It's probably worth more. Is more, worth more than what you read online or what you boil down to a diagnosis. Right. You're both aware that you have issues, which is, you know, light years ahead of right. what a lot of other people uh, exhibit. Right. You You admit that you have borderline personality. Yeah. Your partner admits that. He has narcissistic traits. Yeah. That's a big step. Yeah. The ability to do that is a big deal. Uh, the fact that he can look back on previous abusive behavior and feel bad about it is also a step. Does it mean now, uh, does it mean that there's not going to be bad incidents? Um, no, there's probably going to be some incidents. There's risk. Yeah. There's uh, the very least there's going to be anger yeah. between the two of you. There's anger. There's anger between everybody. Yeah. Uh, can you, uh, the two of you, uh, manage that without it becoming abusive to either one of you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, will it borderline on abuse? Probably. A lot of couples uh, dip into abusive language yeah. like you're a piece of shit mm. or I hate you mm. or what's wrong with you right. or you always do this. Right. You never think right. You know, these kinds of things are... Yeah common hurtful statements that one could characterize as abuse, particularly if it's done in a certain way, in a, yeah. in a pervasive way. Yeah. 
a lot of couples do that. You apologize for it uh, as best you can. You avoid it as best you can. I can't recommend couple therapy more, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but looking at uh, the, the positive prognostic signs, he, again, he admits he's a narcissist with anger issues. You say that he likes to open up and talk about his issues with you. So that's great. That's good. You're in therapy. That's great. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, you can ask your therapist, am I in an abusive relationship? Am I going down the slippery slope right now? Mm. And your therapist will be there to explore that with you. You know, it, one of the things that seems to me is, do I feel safe? Yeah. Like maybe there's shit that's happened between us. Okay, fine. There's shit that's happened between us. How are we at repairing it? And having repaired it, if we have, how do I feel now? Do I feel safe? Do I feel in love with you? You know, how, how's it actually going? Right. Yeah. Do I feel safe to tell him yeah. what's on my mind? Right. That's a, if it always ask that question. And maybe sometimes you don't feel safe. No. It doesn't mean that it's a no-go. It just means, yeah. okay, how do I get back to safety? Right. Do I need to get help and support? Do I need to advocate for myself? You know, what do I need? Do I need to break up? Yeah. What do, do I, I want to get back to safety with so-and-so? Right. Yeah. Another positive is that borderline and narcissism actually can work well together. And I've seen it before. It's a pursuer-distancer thing. Yeah. Uh, narcissism, uh, people... Uh, narcissistic people tend to act like they're fine when they're not, <laughs> which is a, there's pros and cons to that. They tend to look stable mm-hmm. and they tend to believe they're stable and they tend to be kind of stable as long as everything's going well for them. The borderline person is going to have more ups and downs. There's So there's a benefit to that. As the borderline person goes up and down, the narcissistic person can remain kind of steady. Uh, as long as it's within a good range. Yeah, right. Um, and But it can result in big conflict as yeah. well, obviously, because as the borderline person is just like, how come you never open up or how come you're so distant? Or right. uh, And the narcissistic person would be like, how come everything's an ordeal with you? How come everything's a problem? How come we can't just go to the park and have it go, okay, you know, yeah. why does it always have to be a fight? So... The negative signs that you identify is that he's not in therapy, so that's that's you know a negative sign. He's mm-hmm. been he's been violent in the past, yeah. So he you know his tendency is there. It's a risk factor, huh? It's a risk factor, right? He's already been controlling to you, mm-hmm. so I hope that you have conversations about that, right? And. The thing is, is he's just as borderline as you are, is the thing. He just deals with it in an narcissistic way. So assume he has the same emotional feelings, meaning that he's terrified of losing you. He demonstrates that through controlling because he believes he knows the answers. That's his defense is like, you're moving away from me. I feel bad. I'm superior. I know the answers. Let me tell you what to do. Mm. And uh, so to if you want to help him uh, if the two of you want to work on this you can help him and he can learn how to express himself in a vulnerable way which is very scary to the to the narcissistic person but over time as you behaviorally reinforce that behavior through good behavior such as hugging and kissing and reassuring and reacting well to then it'll go better you know he says something like um you know where were you uh you're late for 
getting home from work or something. And you say, uh, you say, okay, I'm getting a controlling vibe. Are you, are you worried that about something about me? Is there some kind of worry? Or did I do something to hurt your feelings? No, I, I'm, can't a husband just be concerned about where his wife was after work? Yeah. And you're giving a vibe of controlling, right. which indicates to me that you're scared of something. You know, what are you scared of? Right. Let me hug you. you know? that thing that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess I was worried, I don't know, that something happened to you or, I don't know, that you cheated on me, you know, because my previous wife cheated on me or something. Right. Okay, honey, thanks for telling me. I wasn't cheating on you. Yeah. I was just a little late. And... Uh, I just lost a track of time. I just stayed late. I was chatting with Karen and da da da. Yeah. You know, um, you know. I guess I could have texted. Is that you know? Are you okay now? Yeah, I'm okay now. Um, you know, that's after five years of couple therapy. <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> uh, you also say that you have already been manipulative with him, which is not a good you know sign. Mm, I don't like that word. I guess I'd like her to be more descriptive about what she finds herself doing. Yeah. Well, what do you suspect she's talking about? Uh, using indirect means. Like, for what? Means to get what? Oh, I don't know what she wants. Yeah. Probably reassurance is usually the thing. Yeah. Attachment security, right? Yeah. Um, like, uh, I'm just trying to think of something that would be typical. Like, uh, I don't know, making him jealous, maybe? Or oh, yeah, right. trying to get him to open up through manipulative way. I don't know. Using sex manipulative. I don't know. Yeah. Just a lot of different options. Interesting. Yeah. What, what she might mean. And borderline and narcissistic personalities tend to have lower attachment security, which can be a volatile combo. Um, not only for, I guess, violence, but just more generally just high, higher conflict. Yeah. Just harder to get along with each other because right. you're going to trigger each other more. Yeah. You're both going to have trouble reassuring yourself and staying differentiated through difficult times. Right. Um, but those are those are true about any relationship. To some degree or other. Right. Yeah. There's not a single relationship on this planet that doesn't have at least, you know, some of these issues yeah. negatively. Like right. your personalities aren't entirely compatible, <laughs> one. Yeah. Two, you're going you, – you both have some insecure attachment tendencies. Right. That's true about anybody. Right. And you're going to trigger each other and you're going to react. And so, you know, keep talking about it and keep working Absolutely. it out. There's, so it's definitely not doomed. Yeah. And there's there's tons of positive things there. Yeah. Uh, another email here, anonymous patron. It's a long one. Okay. You ready, Bob? I'm ready. I've been in therapy for about seven months and my therapist is wonderful. Slowly, over the past few months of therapy, I have come to the realization that my husband is emotionally abusive to me. Oh, we're in a similar wow. zone here. Yeah. I have come to the realization that my husband is emotionally abusive to me. It has gotten worse since we had a baby one year ago. I went to therapy thinking everything was my fault and that was clearly something wrong and that there was clearly something wrong with me. By talking it out with my therapist, I realized I felt like everything was my fault and that I was crazy because that was my husband was trying to convince me of. Huh? By, t by talking it out with my therapist, I realized that I felt like everything was my fault and that I was crazy because that was my husband, because that 
was because my basically my husband was trying to convince me that it yeah. was all my fault. Right. I've been trying to do couples counseling as well with a different therapist. We have been trying to do couples counseling with a different therapist. But he has been resistant to anything that is different than what he already believes and makes everything out to be my fault in couple therapy. Wow. Now, I'm not perfect. I've contributed to things, too, and I will take responsibility for those things. But he refuses to take responsibility for his own actions. I have become a bit stronger now, so I'm not willing to take on that responsibility for him anymore, and he does not appreciate that. Mm. Our next session with our couples counselor is next week, and I am planning to tell him that I want a divorce. Wow. I am scared of his reaction, but my therapist is talking me through a safety plan for afterwards just in case he has a particularly bad reaction. Because of the fear, I go back and forth about whether or not to leave, even though I know it is the right choice, and it is what is best for everyone in the long run. Oh. My therapist was clear that she can't diagnose anyone. She isn't seeing. But a while back, she talked to me about people with narcissistic personality traits and using that as a frame to help me understand some of my husband's behavior and reactions and how that has been interacting with my preoccupied attachment. Oh. I did find it very helpful, and this is what led me to your podcast. I appreciate you advocating for people with narcissistic personality disorder to be more understood and less judged, but I find that sometimes listening to this makes me think that I should stay with him and try to help him get better instead of leaving. Wait, let me try a minute. Have I read this email on the podcast before? I'm not familiar with it. I feel like I've read this email on the podcast before. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Recently. Anyway, just continue. Uh, I find that sometimes listening to this, to you, you talk about narcissism, makes me think that I should stay with him and try to help him get better instead of leaving. My therapist has said that I need to think more about myself and my well-being and that it isn't my job to fix things for other people. But when I think about how he may have become this way in the beginning, I have an urge to help him get better so he can feel better and be a better father to our baby. Can you explain to me how to have empathy for someone like my husband and still think about taking care of myself at the same time? Bob, what do you think? Huh. How do you have empathy for someone like him while taking care of herself at the same time? Because to her, it's sort of a dichotomy, you know? Right, right. They seem incompatible. Yeah. You know, um, know that Aesop's fable about the frog and the scorpion? Frog and scorpion come to the side of this... um, lake and they both want to cross and frog can swim of course and scorpion says if you carry me on your back i can get across i can't swim and frog says if i carry you on my back you're gonna sting me and scorpion says well um i'm not gonna sting you because i don't want to drown either and i can't swim so if i sting you we're both done so frog listens to that and says oh okay and um scorpion climbs on frog's back and they start swimming across the thing, and Scorpion stings Frog. And Frog says, you said you weren't going to sting me. And Scorpion says, I can't not be a scorpion. I don't know. You know, like, um, um, I think uh, if you're having trouble with empathy, um, is it is it that important? I don't know. Like, I guess I think if you're having trouble with empathy, then... Um, Maybe it means that the, your own need has not been attended to. But you can respect a scorpion and not let one crawl on your back. Yeah. So are, are you saying that 
so when she says like you know kirk you say you give a conceptualization of narcissism that is sympathetic you know that that makes me say because you know whenever i talk about any personality disorder as i did earlier i always give a sympathetic view i'm saying like this is this is a, the way attachment the attachment difficulties show up in adult lives, and we put a label on it. We call it narcissism or whatever. That's how you talk about it, right? Right. Not to say that those personality disorders don't produce suffering for them and people around them, right? But it's not their fault. No, it's not anyone's fault. It it just kind of happens to us. Yeah. So, right. It's not even their parents' fault because their parents parented in the best way that they could, yeah. and they were just surviving and trying to do the best they could right so it's i i have a hard time blaming anyone for anything uh uh, so there's that right and so when i say that she says well i'm compelled to not leave my husband because uh uh you know i want to i don't want to i don't want to break up with him and divorce him and leave him because of something that wasn't his fault. What do you say to that? Well, it sounds like it might be that this another version of the same thing that happens to her, which is she finds herself undermining her position on things. Like when I assert my position, I get kind of anxious and I think, oh, wait, wait, um, I must be out of balance. I must be putting myself too far ahead of my partner and I have to rebalance and rebalance probably, if I'm hearing correctly, rebalance means ignore myself and just acquiesce. Right. Right. And I hear her with a very natural or um, a very understandable um, urge to acquiesce. And it doesn't take much. Maybe some anonymous guy in a podcast and he says this thing and suddenly her um, courage is undermined again. What a hard thing to be. I don't think that anybody I don't think people leave marriages lightly and nobody leaves them with absolute certainty. Right. What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, I've worked with many people in your shoes, anonymous patron, whether it's an abusive spouse or they just want to leave. Yeah. And the thing I always tell clients as they're beginning to explore this is I I want to I try to lay and I've taught, talked about this on the podcast before. I lay the landscape and I say, so I hear you beginning to talk about your desire to potentially get divorced. I want to tell you that I will support anything that you do because there's you, you ha- this is a decision that every spouse has to make for themselves, you know, mm, right. in a sense, every day of their lives. Every day of your life, you're making a decision. Yeah. And yeah. if you stay together, then every day you wake up and say, yeah, I'm going to stay together. Right. So it's it's a thing that we all have to do. It's a responsibility, and it, and there's and no one can tell you the right answer to that. Yeah, nobody it's, can. It's up to you. Yeah, I, I do. You get annoyed when you hear these therapist types tell couples you guys should break up. Oh my god, it bugs the shit out of me. Well, not only that, I mean, but individual therapy too, which is much more. Prone. Oh, worse. Yeah, totally worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you should leave this person. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I derailed you. Sorry about that. No, no, I'm glad you're... Each day we make a choice. Yeah, and so... uh, So, what was I saying? Something about supporting client. You know, you say, you sort of lay it out. Oh, right. Whatever you decide. Right, right. So, so what I say is, you know, it's up to you. And then what I say is, uh, especially if they say something like, I definitely want a divorce. Oh, yeah. They'll say something like that. 
And I say, so just to lay the landscape here, I've worked with a lot of people who have come to this realization. And what I'm going to tell you is that in typically 98% of the time, what's going to happen is you, you, this is going to fluctuate for you. Yeah. That you're sure of it now, but next month, a year from now, you're going to change your mind. Uh, I don't know that, and it might not happen. Sure. But law of averages, it's going to happen. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you don't divorce today. That's no. up to you. Yeah. But just so you know what's on my mind is I'm here to support you as you go through this process. Mm -hmm. Even if you did decide and file the papers, mm -hmm. I've seen people pull out mm -hmm. through in you know, a midway or at the end of the process. I've mm -hmm. seen people get divorced, get remarried. Sure. I've seen people separate, move out, and then move back in and yeah. do it several times. Yeah. And so it, it's complicated. Uh, once you get past, I don't know, 25, then things are 30 or, I don't know, some, there's some, some age there where breakups, on average, especially when you have kids, are like five years long. Right. Where... It takes a long time. There's a lot of last-ditch efforts. There's, and so, uh, uh, so when you know when you say to the honest patron, uh, you're wanting to leave because of the abuse, mm -hmm. and you've made that choice, mm -hmm. and then I on the podcast come out and say this thing that's sympathetic towards people with narcissism, mm -hmm. and that pushes you back into the camp of like, well, maybe I shouldn't leave. Yeah. Well, that's just normal is what you're saying. It's just like that just happens. Yeah. You know, you, people vacillate. They go back and forth. And yeah. the fact that I that I said something is kind of a minor detail. The major detail is that breaking up is hard and it's, it's hard. messy and and you're going to vacillate. Yeah. And you have second thoughts. Yeah. And that's okay. And, and you sort know, of you, just the lay of the land. Yeah. A big reason why I tell clients this whole thing is because um, – as they say, I want a divorce, say they say it for like a month. Yeah. Well, what I what I never do as a therapist is I, I'm never like, okay, well, you got to do it now. Yeah, right. You made a commitment. Right. Um, and I, I, because I don't want to come across like I'm not supportive of what they're doing. I want to tell them that, uh, you know, I, I'm just sort of on their coattails as they go through this process. Yeah. Uh, I'm being dragged along, you know. <laughs> you don't pick a path because they said one day I want to get a divorce. You don't yeah. hook your hook yourself to that and say, well, now you have to. Right. You follow wherever they go. Because that can be a big relationship rupture. Oh, man. You know, when you, like, you tell your therapist something, like, right. I'm definitely doing this. And then you don't do it. And you then you're driving it. to therapy the next session. Right. And you're like, oh, shit. Now I have to tell my therapist I didn't do that thing I was going to do. Right. Well, that's that happens more often than not. Oh, yeah. And so I want to tell my clients, because I don't want them to have that thought in their head as they're driving to therapy with sure. me, because I want them to know that I literally do not care. I care. I want them to do what they are. Sure. But I have no personal interest in them even being, even following through on their own commitments right. that they made in front of me. You know, that's one of those process content things, mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh, we could talk about you're coming to therapy and you feel all self-conscious and like you've been a bad client or whatever. We can talk about that. That's probably really useful and important to learn about because we're learning something about how you roll in relationships. But the actual content of are you letting me down is, you know, uh, not relevant. Right. Yeah. But 
as I, we were talking earlier, some therapists will get locked into that. Yeah. Which is... Individual therapists probably more so than others. It's just so silly. Yeah. Like, did you become a therapist to bark bark at people and tell them what to do Like, yeah. and, and think you know what they're supposed to do? But the bottom line here, Anonymous Patron, that I believe I read this email in another huh. episode, which is just so weird to think of doing the same thing twice and not really realizing no. it. Or I had you a very similar... You find sim- out if you're consistent. Maybe it's a very similar... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The thing I want to say, which I think I said before, uh, is that uh, just because you have empathy for someone doesn't mean that you have to endure their abuse. Yeah. I have empathy for everybody. I have empathy for people that I never want to see again. <laughs> I have empathy for people that I actively avoid. Yeah. I have empathy for people whom I have a, labeled as abusive and terrible human beings. Yeah. They're terrible human beings. They have done terrible, terrible things to me and yeah. people I love. Yeah. And I, but and I have an I have a conceptualization that is sympathetic to them as to why they are the way that they are and why they do the things they do. But I'll be damned if I'm going to fucking come within ten feet of those people. I never want to talk to those people again. Yeah. I want the I want them out of my life. Sure. I'll be damned if I have to spend another minute even looking at those people. So and yet I have empathy for them. Yeah, scorpions are not bad creatures. They're just scorpions. So I'm not going to let them get on my back as I walk across, as I go across the river. Yeah. Fuck, fuck them. Yeah. You know? So if, if you are saying to yourself that you're just like, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore, anymore. I've given it a try. He's had plenty of opportunity to take responsibility and be a nice person and be a human being who actually like apologizes for the things that yeah. he does, or at least open to the idea that he might be at fault for at least half of the conflict. Yeah, big blind spot. Uh, he uh, he's he hasn't he hasn't made that leap. Maybe it's because of the severe abuse he went through. I don't know. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, I I wish him well. I'm not going to stand in his way, but I don't want to live with him anymore because he drags me down. He puts me down. I feel like shit. My life is so much better when he's when I don't live with him. Yeah. Uh, me and my kids are better off without him around. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know. Then by all means, yeah, leave him. Uh, again, up to you. Yeah, if that's what your wisdom calls, then best to listen. Uh, some other questions. What is the likelihood that someone who has a significant number of narcissistic personality traits, uh, like rage issues, would be willing to get help if? willing to get help for it if a loved one helps them versus if they get there on their own. Do you understand that question? Are they saying if somebody like does an intervention and says, Hey, I love you, but you got to take care of this as opposed to, um, the person having insight. Yeah. Like, uh, I think she's asking, should I try to get him into therapy? Should I try to persuade him into therapy? Oh, would that work oh, as opposed knows? to, or do, does it need to come from within him, I guess? Oh, um, well, um, I, I don't, there's nothing wrong with giving people feedback. Yeah. You know, like, hey, this is my experience of you. This is what it's like for me. Or I think this is causing you suffering. Yeah, I get, a, I get, I get this, I get a version of this question almost every week. And the, because there's a lot of people out there listening who have people in their lives who are, uh, who who through the information on this podcast are like, oh my God, my brother or my mom or my spouse or my kids um, have this personality issue, this attachment issue. And with therapy, you're saying this will help them. I've been trying to get them to go to therapy. 
and they won't go. Mm. What do I do? And I'll tell you from personal experience, I have had very close people in my life who I absolutely diagnosed. You know, people always, do you diagnose your friends? Absolutely. I diagnose everyone. I, di- <laughs> I diagnose myself. I can't help it. You know what I mean? It's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to become a dumbass when I'm walking, you know, I'm not gonna, yeah, you don't forget everything you know. Yeah. I mean, a plumber walks into a, a leaky faucet room. They're not going to be like, I don't know what's happening. You know, the plumber's yeah. going to be like, there's a leak. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, but the notion of diagnosing people doesn't demean them. It just means I just understand how personality works yeah, and how it, about attachment in injury. Yeah. yeah. Um, and with some of these people, I have really gone on a campaign over months, years. Oh, right. To get them in therapy. Yeah. Does it work? Uh, it's almost never worked. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you know, everyone has to make that choice for themselves. Sure. And sometimes occasionally 1% of the time when you give someone an ultimatum, they go and it, they get hooked and they like it. I mean, I will remember this one time. It takes a, a particular kind of therapeutic intervention though. And I've talked about this incident in the past, but this uh, family came into therapy and the father wasn't jazzed. Oh, I, yeah. I told you about this story. Yeah, Keep going. The father wasn't jazzed about therapy. Long story short, um, we got into him and I got into a big fight and I was like, I'm never going to see this guy again because he hates being in therapy. He hates me. I hate him. He's, he's abusive to his son. Uh, I'm just going to let him have it. And I'll, and I'll walk away with my conscience clean because I didn't beat around the bush with him. Yeah. And I told him what's up and he didn't like it. And we got an argument and then, uh, I, didn't let down. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I just kept at it. And then, uh, for some reason we hugged at the end of it, which was weird. Mm-hmm. And then he hired me as his individual therapist for, you know, a couple years. And every session he would cry about halfway through, he'd just start bawling about basically the way his dad treated him. Mm, poor guy. And, uh, so at the beginning, you know, he wasn't really interested in going to therapy, but that was one of the incidents where, Something happened and he was sort of pushed in a direction that he actually benefited, you know, and, and wanted to go to therapy. Yeah. But I think that's pretty rare. I think in um, my, in, in, of all, I could tell you all these other stories where that didn't work out. Sure. Hey, so one of the things that occurred to me as I was sort of mulling this over was how does the person feel if, if the person that they want to go to therapy doesn't go? Like, let's say I speak to them about it and they don't take my advice. Is there some feeling there? Is there some sense of responsibility? Like, are you feeling like you have to engineer it? Right. I mean, I don't know. You don't, but. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is not your responsibility. I mean, if you want to care and if you want to try, go for it. But uh, he's a grown man. He can figure it out for himself. He knows therapists exist. And you know it's not that's what i always say it's like do you think he doesn't know therapy exists <laughs> like <laughs> like suggesting therapy to him do you think uh, he doesn't know that that's an option yeah he's he's choosing not to do it right. so i wrote back to her and then here's her reply oh you wrote back yeah okay got it thank you so much for your response to my email i told my husband that i wanted a divorce he refused to leave our home and refused to let me go with the baby. 
I ended up getting a temporary restraining order. So he didn't come home and I didn't have to have any contact with him at all for two weeks. At first, it was marvelous. I love that word, marvelous. Yeah. You're marvelous, baby. (laughs) I was able to make my own decisions, take my daughter out of the house with me, and I wasn't constantly worried about his reactions to things. I felt so relieved. I had no idea how bad I was feeling until it stopped. It's a pretty good indication that you made a good choice. Right. But I was not ready for the extreme feelings of emptiness and loneliness I feel now. Yeah, right. There is just this big empty space inside of my chest that I do not know how to fill. I feel lost and I don't know how to make decisions about the most basic things mm-hmm. or how to decide what I want to do and what I want to prioritize. Right. And I am not talking about big life goals. I'm talking about whether to clean the floors or do the laundry or what yeah. I want to eat for dinner. Right. These were all things that my husband would control. And now I have no idea what to do. I haven't found a lot of information out there about the immediate emotional aftermath after leaving an abusive person. This is truly awful as a feeling, and I can understand why people go back to these relationships an average of seven times before leaving for good. Nice. Without the support of my therapist, I would have felt very tempted to go back just to avoid the feelings I'm having. Right. I'm wondering if you, and Bob too, because Bob is wonderful. Oh, thank you. With exclamation points and smiley faces. Wow. I'm I'm wondering if you two could talk about, on the podcast, about the emotional aftermath of leaving abusive relationships. People don't only go back because of finances. No. I wish there was more information about this online. I'm sure others feel this way too. Bob, what do you think? I think that um, that person is directly confronting, uh, I hate that word. Uh, experiencing her attachment need. Yeah. And um, the attachment need is in the relationship. When people stay together, it is indeed because they're attached and not just because of things like practicalities and money and so forth. They are indeed attached. And it is our natural tendency to seek the attachment object. Right. Ugh, awful language. Anyways, so the fact that she has these kinds of feelings makes all the sense in the universe because her attachment needs are still there. And while they may have been frustrated, um, she was certainly getting a lot of... Um, There was a lot of activity to try to get the needs met, you know, like the focus on the other person's behavior and all that, you know, like, what do I got to do to appease and so forth and the loss of sense of self and, you know. So um, let's see, where was I going with that? Oh, now she doesn't have the distraction. Right. Yeah. So, hey, I think it's a good problem. I mean, it's a fucking problem, but it's a good problem. It's a better problem than you were having. And... Um, yeah, you're probably going to have to suffer for a while as you figure yourself out and as you um, get your very natural, very human attachment needs perhaps met in another relationship when you're up for it or um, through your personal counseling, I hope. I hope that's often a good source of uh, sense of connection and so forth. Right. Sounds like you got a good one too, therapist-wise. Yeah. Yeah, Anyways. well said. Thanks. The uh, common belief around abusive relationships is you have this perfectly like secure uh, I don't know differentiated person who's with a very undifferentiated person the abusive person is the quote unquote crazy one mm-hmm. and the abused person is we, we sort of identify with the abused person yeah you know it's like they're they're the 
they don't have any problems other mm-hmm. than the spouse who's abusive. Mm-hmm. And if they could just get away, then everything will be yeah. fine. They're just on the bad side of things. They just need to get out. Yeah. And then it's it's riding off into the sunset, baby. Right. And that is just not usually yeah, the case. not the case. The tragedy about growing up with relational trauma and particularly abuse is that you end up being attracted to abusive people. It's this double, double tragedy, which is just so horrible Mm. that you have to experience it as a child, which is awful. And then because of that, you're compelled to repeat it in your adult life. Whereas people who don't grow up with relational traumas and don't grow up with abuse also tend to repeat that in their adult life. So because they got the luck of the draw, they don't have to worry about being attracted to abusive people in there. Or when they are, they very quickly pull out because yeah. it doesn't fit in with their, you know, repetition compulsion or their, it doesn't uh, fit in. So for you, you have now discovered, or you're in, you're, in, you're face to face with what we call dependent personality. You grew up with relational traumas that caused you to believe that you don't, really have a self Mm. and you don't know who you are or what you want a perfect person to be with is someone who's very assertive you're going to be very attracted to someone like that it's going to feel good because it's like i don't know what to do with myself i don't know how to make choices i don't know without someone telling me what to do i don't know where to even access that part of myself that tells me what to do the way that other people seem to be able to do. Right. Like what I want for dinner. Yeah. Should I clean the floor? Right. It's not that you don't know what you want for dinner. Uh It's that you don't have access to it because when you were two, three, four years old, there was something about your environment that made you punished for even asserting that or even looking at it. And so you, you, you just turned away from yourself and now it's, it's, it's like you're, you know, you're rigidly looking away from yourself, you know? And so it's going to take a lot of time to turn around and look at yourself and go like, oh yeah, okay, I guess I do know what I want Mm -hmm. and I do have feelings and I, I do have preferences and I, uh, um, I can live alone and I, I can make decisions on my own without, without it being a bad thing. As you think about what you want for dinner, it's not that you don't want it, want to know. It's just not that you don't want something. It's that as the self begins to assert itself, right. this very quick defense mechanism no. kicks in and says, do not go there. Don't go there. Because since you've been zero years old, when you go there, something bad happens. Either you were, often it's abused. Often it's right. just like, you know, a, a two-year-old will say, uh, as they often will, I don't want to eat this food. Right. I mean, every two-year-old does that. It's just like, I don't want to eat right now. Yeah. Well, if you got smacked across the face or literally, as I've heard stories, driven across town and left on a, 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 a sidewalk Ugh. and said, uh, we're done with you. Oh, my God. And to teach you a lesson. Yeah. Um, then you quickly realize I cannot, I can't, I'm going to, I just suppress my own needs and my own wants and my own voice. Right. And the easiest way to do that is to turn away from myself. Yeah. So you are now faced with that. As your husband was there, you were initially, you know, initially he wasn't abusive in all likelihood, but he was, he was very assertive and he said, this is what I want. Yeah. I want to eat this for dinner. And you, and you'd be like, okay, great. Yeah. And it felt good and things worked out well. 
but he and he was benefiting because he needed someone to control because that's how he retained his attachments. It's the only way he felt like he could retain attachment is by controlling someone completely and invading their brain, invading their selves. So it worked out for a bit, but then, of course, it spun out of control, and he ended up controlling everything, and, and you ended up uh, being so hurt by that that it was unbearable and you wanted to leave. So you left, and so that was actually you looking at you. Yeah, that's true. You, that was, your, your voice was so loud that even though you weren't paying attention, you were turning away from yourself, you heard it because <laughs> it was such a loud voice. Nice. Now, the difference between a hamburger and a grilled cheese sandwich, that is not a loud voice, and so you can't hear it. It's there. Yeah. There's, a, there's a preference between hamburgers and grilled cheese, yeah. but you, anyway. So, so now he's gone. Hooray. Yeah. Congratulations. Let's celebrate. Now it's like... Well, now I have nothing to push against. I have nothing to tell me what to do. I don't. Yeah. So now is the now is the arduous process of getting to know who you are. Yeah. And that doesn't feel good because mm-hmm. it feels like an emptiness. It feels like a void. You know, that's what you said. It's like I feel I feel empty or yeah, I can't remember the word. Empty. That was uh, word. You're not empty. You're you're full. In fact, your voice has a lot of shit to say. Because it's never been heard. <laughs> yeah. it, it's got a lot of buildup of things it wants to say to the you and the world. And it, so it's not empty. It's, it's quite full. It's overflowing. It's just going to take time for you to assimilate, to trust that when you turn to the self, it actually, you actually won't be punished. And yeah. that's through your relationship with your therapist. Right. And your own experience. And your own experience, but it's not easy. It's yeah, it's it's, it's easy. like it's like you were in a car crash, and you don't want to get back into a car, right? Or you uh, f- you know fell off of a bridge on accident, right. or a bridge crumbled beneath your feet, and people are proposing you walk across a bridge, your body is going to resist that. Or I guess to put it more, you know, viscerally, you're raped horrifically for three years Mm -hmm. and someone suggests that you have sex. Mm -hmm. Well, your, your, your cognitive mind is like, well, sure. I, I trust this next partner of mine, but you all, we all know that your body is not going to be there. Well, your body is not, comfortable looking at the self because of the severe punishment or something went wrong when you were young as you look to the self. And so your body is like, okay, cognitively, I get it. I should look to myself, but my body doesn't want to do it. And because it goes back to even pre-verbal, you might not even have the ability to even talk yourself through it. It's something that takes a long time. Um, Good luck. Hang in there. Yeah. So the key is to stay in therapy, heal from your relational traumas, which take, takes time. Uh, internalize the secure relationship with your therapist and other people. Avoid dominant people. This is very important. Because of the way your projective identification works, you're, you're, I can't diagnose you, I don't know, but people like you that I've worked with will socialize other people to be dominant with them, even though they might not be dominant in all contexts. Like there's a way of manipulating other people to be dominant. Like you'll you'll say, uh, um, you know, just sticking sticking with what to eat. You'll be like, um, 
yeah, let's go to dinner. And then your, your friend who isn't particularly dominant is like, yeah, let's do. And you're like, um, you know, where should we go? And your friend is like, oh, I don't know. You know, where do you want to go? And then you say, as a dependent person, you say, um, I don't know. I'm just so bad at choosing restaurants. I never know what to choose. Or the last time I chose a restaurant, I completely failed. Um, so I don't know what to do. And the other person, and then that compels the other person to be like, oh, well, as a favor to you, let me dominate this decision because I see you crumbling before me and I don't mind making the choice. And then, and then they make the choice and then you're like, oh, you're such a good chooser. And so you're socializing the other person. There's a lot of other ways to do it, but you're socializing the other person in relation to you to be kind of used to making decisions for you. Right. So... You, you want to try to avoid that. There's nothing wrong with those in the micro, but you don't want that to be the overall pattern. So when you're faced with a decision, take the time, you know, take the time to think. What do I want? What do I want? And that's what I always do with people because I've worked on developing the self with a lot of people. I did a whole deep dive on this, actually, maybe with Bob a year ago-ish or something. What I always do is I ask my clients don't try to answer the question just ask the question just ask yeah yeah okay um what do i want to do right now right and then you say i don't know what i want to do be okay with that ambiguity it's not the end of the world just means it just means that you you haven't connected with your voice yet it's there yeah there's not nothing there (laughs) right um so just ask the question keep asking the question Tell other people to ask you more questions. Oh, interesting. Like, I'm trying to develop my own voice. Can you ask me more questions when we get into this kind of situation? So you go to your friend and your friend's like, uh, you know, where do you want to eat? And you're like, I don't know. I'm such a bad picker of restaurants. And your friend's like, oh, we're in that situation. Well, what kind of food do you feel like eating? And you think, hmm, well, what kind of food do I... I don't know. What kind of food do you feel like eating? No, no. I'm asking you. What kind of food do you feel like eating? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. So you're in that space. Great. You're not going to be able to access the self right away. It doesn't feel good. But the question and the space and and the fact that the question is being asked, you're trying to access the self and you're not being beat and you're not being dominated, and right. you're not being controlled, and you're not being put down, and you're not being told that you're a stupid right. person. The bridge is not crumbling. Right. So there's a in-between zone of, like, you ask the question a lot, you don't know the answer, but nothing bad happens. And you explore it in your mind, kind of, and nothing bad happens. Right. You know, that. the more you do that, and I've been with people through this, you know, for months, and find that the, the voice eventually emerges. Yeah, it'll merge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we do a lot of uh, assertiveness training in the DBT class, and um, one of the things I've uh, been watching people practice, and like literally we drill. So my my student said to me yesterday, you know, when you make us do it over and over and over again, it's kind of annoying, but I get why you do it. And my clients find themselves saying, my students find themselves saying things that they could not have dreamed of saying before just by sort of trying it out, listening to other people try it out, seeing how it feels. So this one person had a thing where she kept getting stood up at the last minute by uh, somebody that they're dating. And um, um, so 
they they were really playing with the idea, well, do you say the word irritated or do you say the word frustrated? And almost to a person, they came up with, it felt bad at first to say irritated, that's too big. And now saying frustrated feels too wimpy. So you you keep standing me up at the last minute. It's really irritating me. And they're saying it, and it's like, wow, that sounds really good. I want you to blah, 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 whatever. I can't remember what they wanted. And, um, you know, I need to be with somebody who actually shows up, right? Um, and and uh, I've seen this happen many times. It feels impossible. Like, yeah, even if I did want that, that's like too big. I can't say that. And then you do it five times. Like just playing with it in a room of people who are supportive. You're not even with the real person. And things start to click and gel. It's nice. So assertiveness is actually, I don't know that they do assertiveness training like they used to do in the 80s and the 90s, but that might be a really good concrete thing for um, this person. Yeah, excellent. Also, avoid substances because for people who are suffering in the way that you're suffering, a good way to ameliorate or numb out is through substances, which can become a problem. Right. A little bit of it isn't going to yeah. ruin the day. But also avoid enmeshing with your own child. You say you have a young child, and it's extremely common. I can't tell you how many times as a family therapist I would see someone with your presentation and your history develop an enmeshed relationship with their own child that ends up becoming a big-time issue when the child becomes a teenager. teenager. Yeah. So... Uh, and with so many of those families, right. I would wish I could go back in time right. and be with you, anonymous patron, as a yeah. client when you, when the child was one or two. Right. Uh, so learn what enmeshment means. Yeah. Learn what over-involvement means. Learn what uh, best practices are regarding boundaries with your own kid. Oh, nice. And... Uh, try to approximate that. You'll probably edge towards enmeshment at least, but uh, a little bit isn't isn't going to be as bad as a lot. Yeah. Uh, because what one can do in your shoes is do the opposite and create the same result. Yeah. By being enmeshed and overly friendly, over like a friend to your child. Oh, yeah. Too much of a pushover. Yeah. You can actually create a child who is dominant of you, who uh, learns that in order to gain attachment security, they have to be dominant. And you obviously don't want that. So staying in therapy, maybe consulting with a parenting expert around enmeshment, uh, and maybe even someone observing you with your child over five, ten sessions with an expert would, would be good. Um, and a big part of that is you having adult relationships that are secure because if you're a lot of people in, in your position, and again, I've seen this, they will pour all of their emotional attachment energy into their child. It's very easy to do because your child is there and they want you, they want all of you and they're not going to leave you. Yeah. They live with you. Right. They listen to you. You're in a world. They want to listen to you. They want to tell you all of their life. And it's very easy if you don't know what's happening that you might be creating a a situation where the child is actually denied their own differentiating process, differentiation process, because they detect that 
you need a lot out of the relationship too, and that they can't really develop their own self in in opposition to you, which you obviously don't want. I you know I'm making a lot of assumptions. Hey, no, you're just sort of uh, trying to um, get all the all the different nooks and crannies that could be. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm like, you know. Your uncle, when you're traveling to Africa, is like, okay, did you get your vaccines? You know, did you, do you have a money belt? You know, I'm that guy. Um, also, try to find competence, um, not only in, in looking at the self, but also in just doing things for yourself. And take baby steps, baby steps like, um, you know, go on a road trip with your kid. With, with no guidance from other people. Just just make a choice. Like, this is where I'm going. Yeah. Because I, I don't know if I want to go there, sure. but I'm making a choice. And I know how to make the hotel arrangements, you know. Sure. Or challenge yourself at work or, um, or you know, become a really good parent, for example. Yeah. Also, uh, another kind of in-between step is to find mentors who aren't dominant of you. There's nothing wrong with wanting guidance there's nothing wrong with wanting support there's nothing wrong with wanting someone to uh, give you feedback on your life someone to look up to sure there is an absolute functional way of having that relationship play out with someone who knows how to not dominate you and ask you the right questions Mm. but also mentor you you know maybe you need someone to be like well that's not what i would do Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that, but so it's not. I'm, t- I'm not telling you to completely avoid dependency altogether. Well, that's unrealistic. Yeah, and it's just not healthy. It's I mean, not healthy. all of us yeah. uh, benefit from mentors. Uh, therapists could be mentors. Maybe your therapist is a mentor, but maybe there's other people too. Anyway, let's take a break. Actually, what I want to do, Bob? What do you want to do? I want to take a break, but after the break. It's for patrons only. Oh, okay. Wow. Lucky. Lucky for you. So if you're a patron, then you'll hear the rest of this. And if you're not, then you won't hear the the other emails that Bob and I are going to talk about. Kirk looks <laughs> a little devious. <laughs> <laughs> Mischievous. <laughs> yeah. But it, it is. It is devious. It is. Are you right. manipulating? <laughs> I'm manipulating. I'm also asserting my wants. Oh, there you go. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, so please become a patron of the podcast if you haven't already. Go to patreon.com if you want to hear the rest of this episode. Uh, so do that now. All right, we're back from the break. I want to do some patron shout outs while we're coming in off the break here. Okay. And what's a shout out? Uh, just saying. That they're a patron. Oh, great. And it always takes a while to load the page, so I'm doing it now. Um, I want to name our most recent patrons. Um, And while this is loading, if you haven't already, join us on Facebook and Instagram. That is where we do most of our communicating with our listeners, where we ask questions, we do polls, we do tougher bluffs, we post pictures of dogs and cats um, when bob was coming over right now oh. my dog was all over him so i uh, i took a picture of him uh and I'll, I'll be posting that we have some new patrons here uh patron so jung uh we have patron 
Ekaterina. Ekaterina. Oh, I like that name. Yeah, from Washington. Patron Sun. Patron Matt from New York City. Oh. Patron Elizabeth from Seattle. Oh, wow. Patron Teal from Portland. Patron Josh from California. Taryn from Ontario. Oh. Right? Right. Anna and Veronica from Los Angeles. Okay, so anonymous patron here. Okay. 34-year-old male, he says. Mm-hmm. Feels like my whole life has just been an endless lonely struggle with anxiety and depression. Everyone around me keeps on having happy everyone around me keeps on happily living their lives. I've started to become more and more aware of a growing resentment and bitterness towards them. I don't have anything to do with the incel group. Do you know what the incels are? Yeah. Yeah. But technically, I am one, and I hate when people make fun of them because I don't think they get how painful it actually is to be lonely. I get more and more how they, through loneliness and hopelessness, end up hating society. I hate and fear that I'm seemingly sliding down the same track. Mm. I feel like I want to scream at the world, at my parents, at my family. But even if that was a good idea, which is which it probably isn't, I don't even know how to do that. I want to cry. I want to scream. I don't know how to do either. What do I do? How do I stop the cycle? What advice other than go to therapy, which I already am, what could I do? Um, so we responded to this uh, email already. We did. You and I. Oh. <laughs> in an episode called Letting Go of Bitterness. Or maybe me and Berto did. Um, no, I think you and I did. Okay, so then, so we responded to that email, and yeah. it, that email looked familiar to me. <laughs> we did an episode. Yeah. He responded, hi, Kirk and Bob. Uh, so we must have said something like, okay, yeah, well, you should go to therapy. But also, you know, uh, it it makes sense you're hurt, and you're channeling that into anger, and you're also channeling, channeling that into anger against society. Yeah. Which, you know... It makes logical sense in a way, but isn't actually like the foundation of the experience is, is that you're sad, that you're lonely and you're hurt. You feel rejected. Yeah, it's painful. And you also have feelings towards your parents of making you feel bad. You want to cry, you want to scream. And I think I said something like, feel free to cry and scream. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, let it out. Uh, then he says, hi, Kirk and Bob, you really hit the bullseye. What I long for is someone to care, someone to notice and acknowledge what I'm going through, but at the same time, not knowing how to let anyone around me do that. Oh, yeah. So we probably said something along the lines of, it's possible that you're actually pushing people away inadvertently. Oh, I remember this. Okay. Yeah, I vaguely. Okay. So yeah. this is this guy. So at the same time, not knowing how to let anyone around me do that. You two did seem to care, though. So thank you for that. Welcome. In my teams, I was already struggling with some severe phobias I had when I was little, mm-hmm. which developed into panic attacks, social anxiety, uh, avoidant personality disorder, isolation, and, and depression. Mm-hmm. And then when I was a teen, I found, um, I found my dad's porn collection on his computer. I found chat logs of him communicating with other women online. I did make some attempts, some attempts at letting my dad know that I knew by deleting his porn collections, 
just leaving a text file with a note asking him to stop. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine? Um, anyways, not the worst thing one could discover about a parent, I suppose, but for me, it really messed things up. On top of everything else, I now had a secret that I couldn't tell anyone about, even oh, if I wanted to. Yeah, that's rough. I was already struggling hard, and although I was already lonely and emotionally isolated, I was still depending heavily on this on the safe space my family and home was. Mm-hmm. The thought to even slightly risk messing that up was more than I could handle. Oh. So I shut down even more than I had before. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, my mom finally found out about my dad's online behavior. She got upset, of course. They told me afterwards. And my mom then realized that I had been carrying, and my dad apparently, oh, my, and my mom then realized what I had been carrying this whole time. And my dad apparently cried a lot from realizing the pain he had caused me and my mom. Did he say my dad apparently cried a lot? Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't, what did I say? Uh, my, my dad apparently cried a lot from realizing the pain he had caused me and my mom. Isn't that odd? What? Well, the dad apparently cried a lot. Like, didn't the dad Oh, I, I'm guessing he's saying that his mom said that he cried. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, so this poor fella is all isolated and this terrible thing has happened in his family. Hmm. Maybe dad's somewhat similar in terms of his isolation because he's not coming to our fella here and saying, oh, God, this is what happened. I'm so sorry and I feel awful about it, et cetera, et cetera. It's like closing the loop. Yeah. You know? What a wonderful experience it could be if they could both cry together. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, that's nice. He wrote me an email apologizing, and I didn't really know what to say. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I'm still here by myself years and years later, struggling and generally feeling like crap, while everyone else keeps on living as if nothing happened. Um, Just chime in here. I doubt that that's true. Uh, They're probably thinking the same thing. Yeah. Um. I really do long for someone to care, but it's like I don't even know how to let anyone do that. One time last last year, I felt so alone and, and helpless that I was on the floor in, a, in physical pain. And I wanted to tell someone, but I was afraid that what if they actually would care and maybe even show up? What would I even do then? How would I even handle that? Like you talked about towards the end... Through the years in therapy and such, I've gotten very good at talking about things, but I'm really bad at talking during things. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to cry. I don't know how to be angry. I don't know how to to be in need of care in front of other people. And the fear of trying and then not being met in a good way feels like it's too great of a challenge, and Mm. I don't know how to fix it. Mm. The part where you said, if you don't have someone in your life— I don't know how you get by in the world, unquote. Yeah, I can't remember ever having that. I rarely feel people get me, and I try to explain how deep and painful my loneliness, when, when I try to explain how deep and painful my loneliness is. I probably would have edited, ended it years ago, but I did long for an end many times. Yeah. If it wasn't for a particular Christian background I have, I, particularly, I, probably, wouldn't have, I probably would have done it. I've never had anyone I felt like I could contact whenever, just chill out with, relax with, depend on. I'm very much aware of the basic human core need, but I just don't know how to fulfill it. And you're right, Kirk. I've definitely, from an early age, taught everyone around me to not care, not notice me, etc., 
which makes it even harder because how do you reverse something like that? Uh, when, when you're both unable to ask people to care and also unable to let anyone care if they do. Sometimes, for example, my mom does ask how things are going, but instead of being able to tell her, it's like I get this severe physical reaction and need to defend myself or something. So I need someone to care. My mom tries to let me know she does, and I'm unable to handle it. I think the advice you gave at the end about actually feeling the pain in therapy with someone else is probably the key to what I need. But I really don't know how to do that in front of someone. How can I know if they will respond in a good way? I don't even know what kind of reaction I'm looking for or needing. Like, I don't understand how to get to that place where it feels safe enough to go there. How can I get to a safe place in a way that doesn't just re-traumatize me in some way? Bob, what do you think? Uh, Have you heard of radically open DBT? Mm -mm. I don't know a whole lot about it, but um, it's DBT um, sort of for the other end of the spectrum. So DBT was invented for folks who have trouble with emotion dysregulation. And um, radically open DBT is for folks who have trouble with um, over control, like over self control, and they become, you know, rigid and very lonely and unhappy. And I wonder if this person would be interested in doing that. Where and what that would look like. And listen, this is just the thumbnail sketch of what I know, which is very little. I talked to somebody who who does this in Seattle a year ago, and um, only for an hour though, so I only learned a little bit. <laughs> You actually practice these things that you're saying that you don't know how to do. How do I talk to people so you actually practice doing that? And how do I tell? They actually focus on how to read other people's body cues, other people's facial expressions, you know, like very concrete stuff. And so you're pushed out of your comfort zone. Um, I don't No good therapy would push somebody so far out of their comfort zone that they, you know, freak out. You, you, you do get to say no. But nonetheless, if you're going to get somewhere, you're going to have to move beyond your um, current sphere. Otherwise, you're going to stay lonely. Anyways, radically open DBT sounds like it might be a very good fit. Yeah. And therapy that is, in essence, what you're saying, which is that you're going to have to go beyond your comfort zone. Yeah. One of the things about radically open DBT is it's done in a group. So you're with other people who have similar kind of struggle. You're all kind of in it together. And um, it's not just one-on-one. And it might be good experience. I, I think group work is actually quite hard and yeah. oftentimes very rewarding. Yeah. yeah. Hugely rewarding. Yeah. I'm worried that he doesn't have this in his area, but if he does, obviously that'd be great. Yeah. If there isn't, then uh, doing this in therapy with your own, with your current therapist, yeah. you could just be like, look, uh, I need to work on this thing and yeah. I need help extending myself mm-hmm. I, and I don't, I don't know what to do. And so, you know, just, just keep process, you know, yeah. show your therapist, your emails to me, because your therapist will probably know what to do. Yeah. Uh, and also just general group therapy could help too. Oh, group uh, therapy might be a really good fit. Yeah. Um, you have a very well-known condition. It's called avoidant personality. I, I don't know if you have the disorder, but you, you're on the spectrum for sure. Uh, it's, you know, avoidant uh, uh, attachment style and avoidant personality. And it's all the same thing. Uh, I don't detect any narcissism. Um, so because that's the other kind of flavor. When, when yeah. we're young and we determine that we're not getting our needs met, we have a choice, as we've been talking about. And some many people choose, well, I give up on other people. Yeah. I, I can't trust them. I can only depend on myself. Right. 
it's it's a it's a more male tendency uh, response because boys are taught to be more independent, and so mm-hmm. this solution seems more viable to them. And it uh, uh, compels the person to get very angry at the world too, be- because when you have this assumption that other people are bad and stupid or incompetent or something, which is the the solution that you develop early in life, then it's natural to get angry at the world. It's like, well, I'm I'm okay, and all you all out there are fucked up. So the reason why things are going bad for me right now is because of you, and then that can be translated into society in general. Yeah, that's a problem. And that's and then you have you know people becoming politicians and doing terrible things and tweeting a lot. But you know. Uh, it's a well-known condition, and it's it's so, you know sometimes called the schema of you know things. And you're saying I'm I'm really bad at talking during things, which I think is an interesting way of, of putting it. You know, I'm, I'm really bad at talking during things. You know, you're you're really good at talking about things. So you're like, yeah. And I've worked with many clients like this. They'll be like, oh yeah, yesterday, man, I, it was a tough day. You know, I was going through a lot of tough times. Um. So yeah, I was you know I was I I was texting with my wife. I was saying all these things, and I don't I don't know what's going on. But when I asked them, well, how do you feel about it right now? They'll be like, oh, well, you know, yeah, I just I just I don't know what to do. It's just uh, it's just a hard thing to do. Now they're not actively consciously avoiding the feelings, you know. No, so, actually, something important is happening right now. <laughs> what do you mean? Um, well, the, whatever the habit is, it's in play because this is an avoidant kind of response, right? But there's something implicit in telling the story, which is, this is important to me and I want you to know about it. Mm-hmm. If it were my client, I would say, are you telling me that you want me to understand what happened to you yesterday? Is that the message you want me to get? Is what you feel about that is what happened to you? Is that important to you? I just hold up a big damn mirror. Great. Yeah. Here in the now, in the Here. moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, just responding to what they said, process right. over content. And uh, great. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever done that before. I might steal that from you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I stole it from my therapist. <laughs> um, I think a Barrett's therapist does that to him, too. So, right. Um, so, the, uh, the, so you're saying that you're good at intellectualizing things in the right. past and you can even talk about difficult emotions in an intellectual way in the past. Right. But you have a really hard time talking during the moment, yeah. in the moment with someone right there. And he's doing what he does in life, in therapy. Right. Which is not talking about the relationship with oh, the therapist. Okay. Like, do you want me to care? Right. Right. Now, it's very vulnerable. It's very scary. Ooh, there's a reason he's doing it. Sure. Right. And you're asking a uh, patron, you're saying, how do I take, how do I make that leap? Yeah. Well, I'm just going to tell you that when I was going through my, my personality confrontation therapy, which was in my twenties when I was in grad school. Really? I didn't know that. Well, you do. I mean, I haven't phrased it that way, oh, but okay. I had, I, I wanted a therapist to quote unquote kick my ass oh. and I'm actually getting sweating palms just thinking about it. Oh, Not in a bad way. It's just like kind of excitement, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and I did, I got a therapist who was very in the now and confrontational and just would always 
had no problem just speaking his mind and would always do that, which I needed, which was good. Was they were they ungentle? And no, no. He, well, there were times. So pros and cons. Yeah, there were okay, times gotcha, when gotcha. he was not as gentle as I kind of think he should have been. But, yeah, yeah. Okay. But ninety nine percent of the time, it was what I needed. And one of the things that he would do is he would just call me out in my personality, and so I'd be, you know, I'm twenty four, twenty five, and I'd be telling him these stories, and I mix and. I'd be expecting him to be like, oh, my God, you know, that just sounds, that sounds awful. Mm-hmm. And he, and I'll never forget, he, he's, he's just, I'll just never, ever forget this. <laughs> he said, um, huh, histrionic. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. Ay, 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 ay. Wow. I mean, and I. I mean, I was like, "What the fuck, dude!" Yeah. Like, so I'm a I'm in graduate school. I know what histrionic means. Sure. It's someone who is attention getting, essentially, mm-hmm. attention seeking, and it's pretty they, loaded as a word. They yeah. exaggerate their yeah. their uh, emotions as a way of getting attention, as a way of drawing attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's not it's it's not a coveted personality trait. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and I thought. He doesn't get it. He he's wrong. Mm-hmm. But the more I thought about it that session and that week, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my god, he's right!" Mm-hmm. Like I not only was I being histrionic in the moment in my real life, but in telling the story, I was being histrionic. Not you know, it. it we all have. We're all you, on a personality spectrum. You wanted something, right? I was. What was it that I wanted? You know, what was it that I was trying to his attention, trying to c- communicate in both instances? You know, his amusement, um, Who knows? attachment yeah. security is what yeah. it was in both instances, and so, so consequently, I would go to therapy, sweating. Oh yeah, because I'm like, yeah. my God, what is he gonna find? What is he gonna say? Mm-hmm. You know, and. It wasn't easy, you know, and, yeah. and I could have avoided and I could have intellectualized and I probably did at times, yeah, right. but I took the leap and I said, okay, I'm going to let it out. <laughs> you know, I might even tell him, I don't remember because it was 25 years ago. Mm. I didn't like it when you called me histrionic the other nice. week. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know if I said that, but well, maybe that would I did. be great. Yeah. Um, can we talk about that? You know? Yeah. Um, I know I did do that about other things like that. And it's it's a leap, man. It yeah, is a it fucking is. leap it because is. they could slap you in the face emotionally. Could, yep. They could reject you. They could avoid it. Yeah. They could judge you. Yeah. They could terminate with you. There's so many risks, and it's all awful. Well, well, let's be clear. Those risks are exaggerated. They're, they feel real, right? Like how many times has he used the word fear in this email? Yeah. I don't even know. Right. So they feel the chance that the therapist is actually going to slap me or terminate or do any of these other ugly things is very small. But you're saying is, look, it feels really vulnerable because it is really vulnerable. And you got to you got to push yourself. Right. Right. That's the only the only way you're going to do it is by doing it. I remember my dad telling me when I played football, I guess all sports is. Because I come, I come from a long line of athletes. My my dad and his brothers and baseball, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, my dad and all the sports. But my grandfather, my Japanese grandfather, was just like this athletic genius. Like he he every sport he played, wow. he was amazing at, and he was like the best 
football player. He was the best basketball player. He was the best baseball player. Like That's everything cool. he did, he yeah. he was amazing at and and would kick the ass of the of the white kids. You know what I mean? In 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 Central Washington, and so he was a Japanese hero too for that reason. You know, right? Sort of, of course, sort of like uh, um, Joe Lewis, wasn't he the first black? A boxer, boxer who like kicked white people's asses. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Anyway, so nothing against white people. <laughs> I'm half white, but uh, <laughs> you know, but it's a racist world. Yeah, marginalized groups got to get it where they can get it. Yeah. Um. So, uh, so you're saying my your dad? dad my dad some... would say when I would play sports, he would say, you know, everything in life can be learned playing sports. Oh. Something along those lines. And I remember being like, huh? And I think it's true. Like, when I played football, I think in particular, there were times when, you know, particularly during practices, I guess, or something, or no, let's just stick to games. Like, there, you know, football is played in the fall, and it's played through November. And in Seattle, it's cold. Yeah. And the rest of the country can get real cold, you yeah, know? Right. So imagine, you know, right now, if you're in a cold climate, it's, you know, mid-December, you know, actually this episode will probably come out in January sometime. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you imagine, uh, you know, putting on a jersey and some pads and, and going out into really cold weather. It's raining. There's mud on the ground. There's, you know. Wet. Yuck. Yeah. You don't want to do it. Your body, I don't want to your do body's it. like, okay, not only that, but now... Uh, you've got to like smash your body into other people. You gotta, yeah. you gotta be, you gotta subject yourself to being just smashed by five people all at once. Yeah. And then you've got to get back up, and you've got to hustle. Mm-hmm. Someone's gonna push you down mid play. You got to get back up. You're gonna roll in the mud. You're gonna, you're gonna get grass in your face mm-hmm. and and rocks in your knees, and you got to jump back up and you got to attack, and you got to do it. Yeah. You got to push past your own fear and your own discomfort yeah. because there's a greater good. You can't focus on the fact that it doesn't feel good. Yeah, right. And feeling good is not that important. Therapy sometimes doesn't feel good. The no. leap doesn't feel good. No, when would it ever feel good? But man, does it feel good to smash a running back and have, you know, just have him crumple to the ground and the ball comes flying out and your buddy like recovers the fumble. Man, that fucking feels good. Nice. But as as I'm heading to hit that guy, there's a part of my body that's just like, how about pull back a little bit so it doesn't hurt as much. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, that principle holds true with a lot of things in life, you know, our body, our minds, we're not going to want to go there, but you have to learn to trust that on the other side of that annoyance or irritation or discomfort is a payoff that is worth it. And you'll, you'll be thankful you did it. Yeah. And you deserve that patron. You deserve to open up to people yeah. therapist, other people, and just be vulnerable. That's the key I always talk about with people with your personality type is be vulnerable. Yep. And also don't even care necessarily if the other person responds oh, well. Oh, come on. That's unrealistic. It's great when they do it. It's hard to not care. But love yourself enough to say, 
you know what? I can just, you know, I struggle with this. Sure. So, you know, I could go, and and so I work on it. I try to be more vulnerable with, with everybody. And afterwards, I'll look, you know, I'll be at work, and I'll just, I'll be very vulnerable sometimes. Like, right. this, something happened, I don't know, a year ago or something, where I was, I was very vulnerable in front of my coworkers, um, two close coworkers of mine, who might even be listening right now, I suppose. Oh. And... Afterwards, I was just like, and because they were nice, yeah, but, but we didn't really have the venue for them to really care or know yeah. or something. So. And afterwards, I was like, man, that was pretty vulnerable, yeah, right? And I'm not quite sure if they even are cool with the fact that I, because I said That's some pretty uh, emotional things, I sure. suppose. Yeah. And afterwards, I was like, I don't know if that's a, and. But then I told to myself, like, well, who, overall, like, it's a good thing that I was vulnerable yes. and I was real. And that's just what the fuck happened. Right. You were encouraging yourself to do the thing, even though um, it feels uncomfortable. And I didn't get reassurance from the other person that it was I okay. Can't guarantee that. Right. And, and so, I, so I took care of myself enough to just be like, well, that's just fucking life. Yeah. And, you know, y- you can't go through life without... Uh, what, breaking a few cookies or what do you what do they say? What's oh, that? Uh, you can't make uh, scrambled eggs without breaking eggs, or you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always blame my parents because my parents are terrible with idioms. <laughs> I, I mean, it. my dad has a That's has an funny. excuse because he comes. From, I mean, his you know his grandparents were well. I, you know, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, you know, uh, five eighths of my you know lineage are immigrants, so I'm mostly you know from my great yeah five eighths of my great grandparents immigrated from Japan and Sweden. Right. Three eighths came from colonial America and, right. and like Quakers and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you're a new kid, and, and they were very isolated farmers in Kansas, so they probably didn't hear a lot of idioms. Right. Although you just think Kansas, you would hear idioms, you I know. Don't know. Farm, I don't know. Maybe you don't hang out with other farmers. But a lot of people know. I feel like you, being from the East Coast, probably know a lot of idioms. You know, oh, like you could just uh, say them off the top of your head. Well, like I, they I, say, you, you can't, can't you can't make it on without, without breaks and some makes. Eggs, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe it's also like a part of the brain that I just yeah, don't have. I don't know. Yeah. So, so one of the things that you have though that helps you is you've had you've had experience of both your own both your own personal counseling and taking the risk and. Um, your experience of success in playing football and getting back up and smashing the running back and forcing a fumble and your buddy recovers and it's awesome. Right? Yeah. You have uh, the, yeah. I guess you shouldn't paint it that way where it's always successful. It's, it's just, not. but you do have that experience. If I'm going to step on the field, then I got to play. Yeah. And if you want to be in relationships, right. you got to yeah. play. So you've you got to take the risks. It's, it's true. You're saying something that's a hundred percent true. And, um, um, I just want to hold up the other end. You've had the experience of that working out for you. I don't know about this fella, what his experience has been in life. So, um, he might not be coming from the exact same, uh, uh, have the same have the same kind of background to um, have the wherewithal to encourage himself, and he might not know what uncomfortable really can fucking feel like. Yeah, uh, when you really do it. So um, he will be breaking some eggs if he takes our advice, and that's not going to feel good. And it's okay that it doesn't feel good. You don't need to feel good. 
it is, humans do not need to feel good all it's the time. It's definitely not going to feel as bad as you think it's going to feel. Yeah. And in the long run, um, uh, you'll be glad, as right. Dave said. Yeah. Yeah. So hang in there. Yeah. And a part of it is this narcissistic notion that of perfectionism regarding how you present yourself. Oh, forget it. Yeah. Take an improv class. <laughs> be human. Yeah. <laughs> Life is messy, and there's no way around it, and to try to come across like you're not a normal human with all the normal human foibles is to avoid life altogether yeah. and deny yourself the opportunity to play the game. Yeah, I think putting it that way is really important for this for this person. You're denying yourself an opportunity. You're yeah. denying yourself an opportunity. Right. Right. You deserve... Yeah as we all do, yeah. to be real, yeah. to have a need to express it, to say, I don't know what I'm doing right now, or I'm afraid, yeah. or I need you to tell me I'm an okay person, yeah. or I need you to shut up while I'm talking, yeah. or whatever it is, right. or I am so afraid to say what I'm about to say. Right. You deserve to be able to say that. Absolutely. And... You deserve another person to hold that and to be like, oh, okay, I'm with you, you know, and be yeah. attuned to that in right. whatever appropriate way makes sense. Um, you deserve that. And over time, the resentment will go down. The attachment security will go up. Yeah. The trust in other people will go up. The readiness for vulnerability will go up. Yeah. Your needs will start being met. Yeah. You'll have relationships and things will likely work out uh so you're in therapy and uh you know uh just keep going <laughs> you're already doing the work anyway you're in therapy going to therapy is vulnerable yeah. talking about anything even if it's intellectualization is vulnerable well there's a reason people do it because they feel vulnerable yeah. yeah it's not as vulnerable as you, you know, yeah. you're intuiting patron. You're just like, well, I, I could be more vulnerable, but it's really hard for me. Well, yeah, it's hard. Um, and as Bob always said, just raise the question. Just be like, I, I know I'm supposed to be vulnerable, but I'm having a really hard time. Nice. Just That's say it. immediate. Just say it. Yeah. And then have that conversation, you yeah. know. Ha don't don't step over that step, you yeah. know. Don't, like, say, oh, I got to be vulnerable. Right. Just, just say, I'm having a hard time being vulnerable oh, right now. Yeah, that's immediate. Yeah. Immediate's hard, but really good. And, it, you know, it's vulnerable, but it's at least immediate uh -huh. and maybe a little less vulnerable than just taking the full leap of, you know, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, right. One does have to take the leap at some point. Yeah. Well, uh, Bob, thanks for joining me. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel? Oh, I feel tired. Really? We did a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We talked a lot. We Well, we, we, yeah, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel? Uh, I feel good. Good. Um, yeah, we did cover a lot of ground. Uh, I wonder if my analogies made any sense to people. <laughs> Your idioms? <laughs> <laughs> well, it made sense to me. I think we're probably okay. Yeah. I don't know. Um, uh, that you know, we we've been having some controversial episodes recently. Oh, you have? Yeah. Oh, um, I don't want to get into it, but it it, it makes me 
um, stressed out because uh, I want to talk about important things for a lot of reasons. My whole thing is I want to make the world a better place in my tiny little way. Mm -hmm. And I believe that having controversial conversations while edging towards justice is in, in line with that mission. Cool. But some topics are so controversial that even the compassionate, educated listeners are going to have different opinions about it. Right. And I don't know the answer. I, I just want to have the conversation. Another part of it is I, I want to have these conversations because I, I want to learn myself. You know, I, yeah. uh, I want to – there's a lot of areas that I, I just don't know about, and I, I'm continually trying, striving to, like, become more aware of – the landscape and of marginalized groups and and what's going on there and my own internalized issues you sure. know what right. propaganda i've i've absorbed and i uh but it stresses me out because i'm not impervious to, which you know of course yeah uh to uh guilt and shame around hurting people's feelings or causing trouble other people being upset. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 if I had it my way, I'd avoid the whole thing, you know, from a comfort standpoint. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would just stick to things that tend not to hurt people's feelings, I guess. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to, I, I never set out to purposely hurt anyone's feelings. No, and, and I never set out to um, create, you know, talk about a topic that will inherently hurt someone's feelings. Yeah. I guess you're not slinging mud. You're not wanting to muck things around. No, but I don't know. It it just weighs on me because yeah, it, sure. it one of the worst things about um, I don't know. One of the worst things that I think a lot of people try to uh, endure. But I think particularly for someone like me is um, is just feeling like you inadvertently or even haphazardly hurt someone, you yeah. know. And uh, it's just been, you know, kind of bumming me out lately. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That is, it is hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, people are being supportive and things are working out and um and i'm trying to listen and learn and learn from my mistakes i guess i think maybe that's part of it it's just like being okay with mistakes uh you know yeah i think you were saying something about how hard that can be yeah having a learning curve and so forth yeah, yeah. Have, having it be public oh oh baby yeah that's yeah, rough um yeah so uh, but I feel better now talking about it with you. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us. And please take care of yourself because you deserve it. 